Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing, obey. Amen. Believe it or not, I spent the winter of my freshman year of high school as a member of the gymnastics team. Though I was not the kind of gymnast that was rippled with muscles and could do push-ups with one finger, I was the kind of gymnast that spent the entire practice playfully hopping over the vaulting horse. And the thing about being one of the three male members of the gymnastics team is that you don't exactly have the best standing with the rest of the boys in the school. I probably should have realized this would be a consequence going in. For whatever reason, the wrestlers, <laughs> the wrestlers demonstrated the most agitation with my little charade. Perhaps they considered our practices an improper use of the mats. They scowled at me when they passed our practices on the way to the water fountain, and they shunned me in the locker room. It should come as no surprise then that when something went missing out of one of the wrestler's lockers, the finger was immediately pointed at me. I remember the afternoon quite vividly. I remember waiting in the high school lobby for the after-school shuttle, shuttle bus. I had a backpack slung over my shoulder. A few of them conferenced on an aluminum bench, and I can still see a pack of them surrounding me. Why'd you do it? Give it back. What's wrong with you? It was not me. I told them that. But I'm not sure I ever convinced them of that. Sure, I was sweating. Sure, my mouth was bone dry. I was scared. Sure, I was acting shifty. I was desperate for a way out. But it was not me. It was a simple case of mistaken identity. That feeling the one I had in that high school lobby creeps in every now and then when it comes to the church. Because I have to tell you, most of the people that get wheeled out to offer the Christian perspective on anything, they don't represent me. I watch, I read, I hear, and I think, that's not me. Not even close. And it's not just that. Every time I go to a sporting event, when we used to have those, 
and we used to be able to go, there are people outside screaming about how everyone is going to hell. They wear signs and use megaphones and drive everyone batty. And sometimes I'm tempted to stop and chat with them. What would I tell them? Is that you? That's not me. There's a church, they call themselves a church, called Westboro Baptist. It was founded by a man named Fred Phelps. This Christian institution pickets funerals based on people that they believe God hates. I've got news for them. God doesn't hate. He doesn't hate people for your headlines. And God certainly doesn't hate children and soldiers whose funerals you picket. Christian, huh? Is that you? Because that's not me. Then there are the less obvious ones. People who manipulate the Bible to disregard science. Uh, people who manipulate the Bible to disenfranchise women. People who manipulate the Bible to discourage peace with people of other faiths. People who manipulate the Bible to disapprove of any decision or dialogue toward racial harmony. People who manipulate the Bible to displace people from their money on the promise that they will somehow become rich on account of it. Is any of that you? Because that's not me. And as we think about what it means to come back to church over the weeks and months and years ahead, perhaps we must first confront this case of mistaken identity. And it is terribly important that we do because a recent Gallup poll shows that Americans' membership in houses of worship continued to decline last year, dropping below 50% for the first time in Gallup's eight-decade trend. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. Down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999. And I think a big part of the reason why is that people have gotten who we are all wrong. And to some extent, we've let them. In the first century, Jesus was born into a Jewish community that suffered from a long lingering case of mistaken identity. A key turning point in that case came two centuries before Christ was born, when the Syrian ruler Antiochus Epiphanes was desperate to gain the loyalty of the Jewish people for political reasons. So in a plan 
that backfired in a grand way, Epiphanes kidnapped their greatest religious symbol, the temple, for himself on December 25th, 167 BC. Well, predictably, instead of garnering Jewish political friends, he stokes the fury of a Jewish rebellion, and then three years later, on December 25th, 164, led by the rebel Judas Maccabeus, the Jews regain the temple. And as a result, Jewish priests and leaders take charge, bringing very underwhelming leadership. And it stays that way for about a hundred years until the year 63 when Rome arrives. Now can you imagine the ideological whiplash for these people of God? The community is unsure of what to follow and who to trust and where to look to inform who they are. They ask, do we look to the rebels for our identity? Do we look to the priests? Do we look to the Roman occupiers? And it is into this state of identity confusion that God speaks through the birth of Christ and through the pages of the New Testament so that the people of God see him up close and personal like they never have before. In other words, Jesus is God's way of saying to this community, rebels, priests, occupiers, is that you? Because that's not me. This man, Jesus, the one you will follow, then quarrel with, and ultimately crucify, that's me. And he is going to show you who you are. John Calvin once wrote that we don't look to the Bible, we look through it. To see the world as God sees it. With that in mind, Look at what is happening here in Matthew in the words we commonly call the Great Commission. Consider what is said on this mountain just after the crucifixion and resurrection. And I challenge you to not be moved, moved by the reality that this is how God sees us. This is how God sees us as capable to go out and make disciples, as desirable of teaching them in the same way as Jesus himself, as worthy to carry Jesus wherever we go. God entrusts us with that miracle. Is that us? The simple answer is yes. This is what we are. Right here in the Great Commission, we are not fear mongers, we are fear abaters. We're not closed minded, we're open hearted. We're not debaters, we are deliverers. That is us. 
If the scriptures are to be taken seriously, that is how God sees us. We are middlemen and middlewomen for the miracle. So why are we hiding? Why do those that misrepresent us as Christians get a bigger and more powerful place on the scene? Are the disciples of today, like the disciples of the first century, caught in a state of identity confusion? We need Jesus. When those wrestlers accused me of stealing, I didn't know what to say. I was too intimidated to do anything, so I just put my head down and hoped to get through it. I wonder if this is what is happening to today's Jesus followers. I wonder if we've put our heads down like I did in that high school on that day, just wanting to find a way to say, it's not me. Andy Dufresne knew something about that. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, set in Maine, life in prison is illustrated through the eyes of Andy Dufresne. Dufresne, a well-read businessman with a lot of life ahead of him, is falsely accused and unjustly incarcerated for the murder of his cheating wife. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. And the movie illustrates how he uses his wit and creativity to befriend the men of the corrupt prison. And at one point in the movie, he commandeers the yard's PA system to broadcast opera music, a sound few of the inmates had ever heard. And all the men roaming the prison yards and working in the shop or lying in the infirmary stood up and listened and they were mesmerized. Andy's friend, Red, reflects, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words and it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. That was him. That was Dufresne. Not one that deserved to be locked up, but one that helped others to experience freedom. That was him. Is that us? There is something about our world the way we live that makes so many of us and those around feel like those bored prisoners roaming the yard or the shopmen handcuffed to their jobs or the ones laid up in the sick bay. 
There are some that call themselves the church that see their purpose as to keep the shackles tight. And there are other churches that are about freedom. There are other churches that want people to experience the freedom found in knowing Jesus. Churches that say, when we come here, when we come back to our church and the song of Jesus gets played, played in the words of Scripture, played in the sound of prayer and played in the laughter of children, played in the pipes of the organ, it is like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and makes these walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man, woman, and child in this place feels free. Not shackled, but free to live, free to love, free to live out the Great Commission and pass the miracle of life and love along. It's not too late to start over and be that. It may be the perfect time, in fact. So is that you? Is that us? I hope so. And I hope that's me. Amen.